Hello, and welcome to the ANCDS podcast. Today's guests are members of the ANCDS Race, Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion Committee, Dr. Elena Davis and Sucheta Kamath. Sucheta Kamath is a celebrated motivational speaker, an award-winning speech-language pathologist, a TEDx speaker, and a tech entrepreneur who has created EXQ, a cloud-based digital curriculum for the middle and high school students designed to directly personalize learning and build executive function skills through games, error analysis, and metacognitive lessons. She is the host of the podcast, Full Prefrontal, Exposing the Mysteries of Executive Function, where her invited guests range from neuroscientists, researchers, educators, learning specialists, journalists, and leaders. Finally, Sucheta serves on many nonprofit boards and is deeply committed to racial healing and interfaith community dialogue. For the past four years, she founded and currently runs, along with her GSHA colleagues, GSHA Gives, a free communication and executive function job readiness training program for previously homeless, incarcerated, and disenfranchised men in inner-city Atlanta. Dr. Elena Davis, the chair of the committee, is an assistant professor at Howard University and a certified brain injury specialist trainer. She has expertise in cognitive communication disorders associated with TBI. Her research focuses on adolescents and adults with sport-related concussion and return to learn, return to play, and return to activity. Dr. Davis's work addresses the cognitive and communication styles of adolescents and adults from racially and ethnically diverse backgrounds and cultural responsiveness in assessment and treatment. Dr. Davis also co-hosts a podcast called Sunday Dinner with Drs. Stanford and Davis, in which she leads a series called Brain Injury Chronicles with Dr. D., telling the stories of persons with concussion and its effect on their lives. Welcome to the ANCDS podcast. I'd like to first welcome Sucheta Kamath and Elena Davis. Um, thank you both for being here with us. Um, how are you both doing? Doing pretty well today. Good. Lovely and great to be with you. Wonderful. Great. Um, where, where are both of you um, joining us from? Um, so I am in the Washington, D.C. area, uh, more specifically Maryland, um, and it's a bit rainy out here today. And I'm joining you all from Atlanta, uh, specifically in Buckhead, and it is raining here as well, Elena. <laughs> yeah, it's been off, off and on here, too, in Nashville. Um, uh, great. Thanks for joining from kind of all over. Let me just ask you first to um, introduce yourselves. Uh, we'll start with uh, with Elena, please. Um, and tell me a little bit about yourself, uh, your background, and we'll move from there. Okay. Um, so I am currently an assistant professor at Howard University. And I um, have been a speech language pathologist for about 12 years, maybe a little over that. Um, currently also a certified brain injury specialist trainer. So my research focuses um, primarily on cognitive communication disorders that are associated with TBI, but more specifically adolescents and adults um, from racially, ethnically diverse backgrounds who have sports-related concussions and then in their journey of return to learn. Um, and so all of my work focuses on cognitive and communication styles and 
the attempt to identify culturally responsive assessment and treatment methods. Hmm. And um, I've been a member of ANCDS since 2011. I served on the executive board as a member at large once and now chairing this lovely committee um, on race, equity, diversity, and inclusion, or as we like to call it, the Ready Committee. Wonderful. Great. Um, Sucheta, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, happy to share a little bit about myself. I am uh, um, originally from India, born and raised. I came to do my second master's in the United States. Uh, and then I, since then, I have uh, specialized, started as a generalist, then specialized in three specific areas, uh, including stuttering, voice disorders, and neurogenic communication disorders. But last 20 years, uh, my uh, specialty is executive function uh, in children, adolescents, and adults. I too, like Elena, began my journey uh, in executive function because of my work in um, traumatic brain injury and uh, started when we called it right hemisphere dysfunction. If for those who remember it, <laughs> did not even call it executive function. And um, eventually has have had a, a great interest in uh, applicability in developmental disorders and uh, uh, truly uh, on a mission to uh, bring um, executive function training as part of normal educational experience and not house the this skill development in uh, an area where we just look at disorders or disabilities. Mm -hmm. uh, and lastly, I would say my interest in um, race, uh, you know, diversity, inclusion um, is very much related to my training in Leadership Atlanta and happy to talk a little bit more about when we go further. That sounds great. Yeah. Thanks so much. Thanks to both of you. Um, Elena, you mentioned the, the Ready Committee. Um, it's the purpose of this podcast to talk about that and um, discuss um, the roles and really the purpose of this committee. Can can really either of you tell me about um, how the, the Ready Committee came about? Why did ANCDS propose this? Um, sure. So um, in 2020, I was actually on the executive board at that time. Um, and that was the same time when a lot of the social injustices in the U.S. were being highlighted, primarily like with protests, right? And um, a lot of organizations and businesses were putting out statements to verbalize their positions on Black Lives Matter and diversity and equity and inclusion as a whole. And um, at that time, the president of ANCDS was Kathleen Yowes. And when we were developing our statement, she also um, acknowledged that she recognized that ANCDS had not really addressed the issues related um, to these topics, the topics of race, equity, diversity, and inclusion, and wanted to change that. So that's where the proposal for the committee came to be. Um, and, um, you know, although it is a bit long overdue. The development of the committee is pretty timely, um, especially because a lot of people who are um, from the white population now are becoming more aware of the issues that many of us have experienced, um, the, like racism and prejudice and all those inequities and feeling um, exclude, excluded. Um, and so, 
this is the time where a lot of organizations are starting to have those uncomfortable conversations and the self-analysis that it takes to address the issues. Thank you, Elena, for setting the stage for us. And Mm -hmm. if I can chime in, I think um, uh, in 2015, uh, I live in Atlanta. I have been here um, and a leader in many spheres. And I was nominated and had a chance to um, complete a year long um, a learning journey uh, through Leadership Atlanta, which is a 50 year old nonprofit here that trains and brings together leaders uh, to understand uh, the complex issues of the Metro Atlanta, as well as the state of Georgia. Uh, One of the things that they have is called Race Awareness Day, which is a uh, two years, two days immersive, followed by a year-long conversation uh, with a cohort of 80 leaders from different walks of life. And having that experience completely transformed me in, number one, in understanding the impact of race um, and uh, and, and, uh, if you're on a mission of uh, pursue equity, we cannot leave race out of it and its impact on childhood development, um, education, health equity, housing, economic uh, opportunities. So that was my first exposure. Uh, second thing is during the pa- uh, during um, the period uh, one because of the pandemic and second because of George Floyd's death, one of the initiatives that I started with my cohort of classmates of 80 um, leaders in the city of Atlanta is a bi-monthly dialogue. So we would get together, I would put together a panel of people and talk about race in a very deep and wide ways. Uh, and I, I did that for eight months in January. Uh, I think I don't remember specifically, but I received an email from uh, ANCDS. Uh, by the way, I was the first ANCDS member to undergo the certification process. So there were two of us and I was one of them. This was in 1997. But uh, so having been member, um, I had never, ever seen anything, no interest or no um, uh, explicit uh, desire to address or at least explore the possibilities of uh, race in the context of speech language pathology from the ANCDS group. So when I saw that email, I immediately responded and I said, yes, I would like to be part of that committee. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, also, I mean, uh, Alina can talk more about this, but uh, it was an exploratory process, which we have now transformed into a more permanent ways of addressing this. So that's kind of my uh, lens, uh, my well, last thing I'll say about, uh, uh, I think as a profession, which uh, one of the interesting, you know, demographics and statistics, uh, you know, we are 174,000 SLPs and 19,000, I mean, just rough estimate, audiologists. And, you know, it is 84% uh, white in speech language pathology and close to 82% in uh you know, that are a white population and audiologists who are the professionals. And if you look at the demo- demography of our uh, demographic data about our country, uh, you know, at least 30, uh, 40% of population is minority. So how do we really serve the need uh, for being a majority white population? Uh, and I, uh, we, are, we talk about cultural diversity, but is that adequate? And is that even, how can we talk about, or rather, how can we, why are we not talking about race directly and 
use cultural competence as a language to address diversity, which is very um, inadequate at the time of life we are in. So yeah, that's where that, I think, yeah. Is that is that a part of kind of one of the focuses of the, the Ready Committee is speaking to race directly? Is that is that something that's been part of the ongoing conversation? Definitely. That's the first word in the name of the organization. We wanted to make sure that that was going to be um, uh, a topic that we discussed because of the fact that it is one of the most um, prominent issues that we see. Um, and it's something we can actually see <laughs> at the same yeah. time. Um, so definitely. Okay. Yeah. Um, I guess I'd like to start, if it's okay with you, kind of with that formation uh, of the committee. Sucheta, you, you described receiving an email, um, you know, responding to that email, absolutely count me in. Um, who who sits on the committee? You know, what is it What is it made up of? How, how often does it meet? What are the, the, the sort of focuses of those meetings? You know, so on. Okay, that's a great question. Um, currently, I'm serving as the chair um, of the committee, um, but we are very close knit. So um, everyone really has like a full say. So there are um, there are three other members currently right now. Um, Sucheta, of course, who's here with us, uh, Romani Valetti, and Yaline Pei, who is also um, a student a doctoral student. So she's our student wow. member right now. Um, and we also have some interest from some other people who will be joining us um, here soon. Um, and the way we have a setup right now is um, we just identified different people within the committee who will serve as a point person to other ANCDS committees. Um, to serve as a support for them as they develop like their um, ready-based goals or activities and actions that they want to implement. Um, so that's pretty much our setup right now. We, um, I know we were going to talk about uh, some of the activities a little bit later, but um, our, you know, our goals are to try to embed the principles of ready into the organization as much mm -hmm. as possible. And um, maybe a quick idea I would like to add to that is um, we uh, we see an intersection between three uh, particular areas that pertain to NCDS as an organization and our practice. Uh, so number one is uh, uh, the the clinician. Uh, I mean our research. So research and uh, the issues of race equity. Uh, in diversity and inclusion, what does that mean in the context of this initiative is one, one thing we want to talk about uh, and address, help address, help shape. Second is uh, actual individual, uh, whether it's a clinician, whether it's a researcher uh, who's a leader, um, uh, what, what role do we play as influencers uh, in talking about race and what does it mean to create a, a seat at the table? What does it mean to create opportunities for those who have less opportunities, less access? And the third, uh, the critical uh, element of this is to really um, 
empower our students. And if you look at our profession, again, uh, the enrollment, uh, you know, just as I was talking about the data earlier, uh, there is, uh, you know, um, a very small minority of uh, students are coming into profession that are uh, representing Black students. For example, only 5.24% you know, of uh, workforce uh, of SLPs is Blacks. And if the, uh, you know, population in the country is 13%. So a true equity will be to have the same percentage distribution, at least the way I see it. And the question is, is it an opportunity gap or is it a competency gap? And so to address that and what does strategic uh, intervention look like? How do we create strategies so that we have more students that represent different minority groups? So that, those are the three areas we want to influence through our work and help ANCDS um, pursue and uh, become very committed to Ready Agenda. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, absolutely, that's the, you know, the, the very visual and visible side of it um, is more the makeup of the population of speech pathology students, speech pathology clinicians, and then the research that's being completed as well. Are there some, you know, some ideas already being developed as far as how to address, you know, let's just start with that last one with students, right, with, with trying to be more representative of the general population um, as ANCDS or the Ready Committee, how are they working towards that? What are, what are some ideas or initiatives? Okay, um, so within um, our organization of having a point person for each, um, well, maybe not each committee right now, but we do have someone who will be working with the membership committee. And we already know that the membership committee is really been working hard towards trying to gain a, a strong student, student based membership in general. Um, and so we also feel that having this type of committee and being able to present at like the scientific meeting, we presented last year, we're gonna present again this year, um, having things that the students can see that's happening, um, that's related to topics that they may be very interested in and topics that make them feel um, like the ANCDS is a safe place for them to join. Yeah. Um, and so those could definitely be some um, initiatives that help to support developing that student base. Um, I would also say, um, and Sucheta, you can um, jump in after me or whenever, but um, I would also say that some of the other projects that we are planning to do that focus on um, the actual membership, doing self-analysis, and really becoming more aware of what's going on and what could be happening in their own programs is also gonna make a big difference as well. Yeah, and I think to add, um, I think if I may uh, take us back a little bit to the big picture. So there's mm -hmm. two issues I think uh, Elena has alluded to. One is uh, the, the field itself, and then ANCDS membership or ANCDS as an institution, it's uh, as a um, subset of that. Uh, so I think our biggest uh, goal is to um, heighten critical consciousness. That's what I, I like to think about. So the critical consciousness is uh, awareness 
uh, and compassion to make change or commitment to make change. So not just education. So you'll see a big difference in our approach. We are not talking about educating people. I think the the real um, hope and our process, um, uh, I hope we come back after a year of having done this implementation, but we want to see that we are empowering ANCDS membership to introspect mm -hmm. and really think about in what ways they are missing information, not go to us or come to us and say, educate me. This is a one shift we would like to really cast uh, in our um, through our work. Uh, and, and I don't know if you would like to talk a little bit about uh, what does a race uh, or what kind of issues um, do we need to really think about when we think about race, diversity, inclusion, I mean, race, equity, diversity, and inclusion, because I think that where, because we are dealing with highly educated, smart, diligent, incredibly compassionate group of people, we wouldn't be in this field if we weren't in this field. <laughs> mm -hmm. By design, yeah. we are some, there's some self-selection going on. So where is the room for improvement or change? And so one of the things we will be putting out is the self-study uh, program as a first uh, way of getting individuals to even, for example, uh, you know, the current state of affairs, there's a deep and wide impact of racism in America. And there are six places we see the impact of uh, the structural, institutional and systemic racism. Uh, and and if, you, if I can list those six areas, one will be child welfare, health, you know, juvenile justice, educational achievement, special education, and economics, economic outcomes. So there's a lot of research about that. And so if you think about our field, whether it's speech pathology or audiology, um, we, our compensation or our rate of reimbursement, for example, is determined by health policy and education policy, because you can be employed, you're, whether you're you know, institutional program uh, professors uh, like Elena here, you're ultimately preparing students to be employed. But if we don't understand the role of structural policies that influence uh, health outcomes of people of minority and educational outcomes of minority, then how are we really preparing them to compensate for their challenges? So that's where I think I see a huge opportunity for us to change the lens uh, in the way we think about thinking. Yeah, and developing, it sounds, you know, developing um, each of the members' ability to recognize the issues and then to address the issues directly instead of teach me what I need to do, right? It's more kind of custom specific to the institution or the clinic that they work in, right? That's, that's kind of the larger goal there, yeah. And I'll give you a quick example. Um, so if I'm in private practice and I serve, uh, my clientele is white. The question cannot be, I don't know how to talk about race because I'm uncomfortable, but why am I not able to serve minority population? What is about my demogra demographic area where I live, where only people who seek my services are actually white? That will be a critical consciousness shift uh, in the way you ask questions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That seems to be a, a, a really wonderful goal um, is to develop that, uh, as you said, critical consciousness and increasing that in, in every member's, I guess, mindset or awareness. That's and great. Elena, if I can invite Elena to share about her experience as a professor, uh, when you simply by having a, a professor who looks like her, how does it shift 
the experience for a cl young clinician who's coming in the field. Do you mind sharing a little bit about that as well? Because it's representation is not only important to bring diversity of voice, but it also can create aspirational shift in the way we feel we belong. Yeah, so I'll say um, when I, now I teach at an HBCU. Um, so our student population is primarily um, Black, and that can include African-American, um, Caribbean, or those who are from um, some country in Africa. And one of the things, or one of the comments that we get mostly at the end of their um, program is that they did feel empowered um, to see someone that looked like them. Um, that was my own experience. I had never seen anyone who looked like me that was a PhD until I went to graduate school um, at an HBCU. Um, and it, it gives you the concepts of something that you may not have considered to be realistic to become a reality for you. Um, and then my experiences when I, I've taught also at some institutions that are um, we call PWIs or predominantly white institutions. And after my lecture or a presentation, I oftentimes get a lot of emails from students who just say that they just felt seen, um, <laughs> which is a huge impact. And, you know, you can learn all day, but if you feel like you don't belong, that can have a very strong impact in how you proceed throughout the profession as well, and in life. And, you know, if a second part of the story, if I can include in here, is, you know, being, um, you know, majority brown country coming to America, you becoming minority is a, an experience in itself. But when I joined uh, the university campus, because my university had a great relationship with uh, University of Bombay. They were bringing uh, students from there. But uh, the first year they had one Indian student and then they expanded to three or whatever the trajectory was. But my year, there were uh, nine of us. And suddenly on the campus in the program, the the unspoken um I don't know how exactly to explain, but rumblings were too many Indians mm -hmm. in the program. And so this is also a way to exclude somebody. And I have in my, I don't think Elena knows this story because I've never shared this with anybody except yesterday I was talking to somebody and I told them this. That's why it's fresh on my mind. But that kind of microaggression, something I endured and I, my con uh, students who are currently enrolled in the program are explaining the same experience 25 years later. So there's something about um, having people of minority or diversity as if almost it is something has gone wrong with the programming. And I think we need to change the mindset of people and, and what does it mean to actively seek diversity versus barely tolerate the existence of it? And that's a psychological, emotional, and profoundly economic shift that I think we can all engage in uh, and not to be forced, but um, incredibly um, seeking. And I would lo love to be part of that conversation.
Sucheta, you, you mentioned uh, about a self-study program um, that will be that is yet to be, uh, I think, uh, published or introduced uh, within ANCDS. Um, what what has already been implemented? What what is already available for um, for members? Um, so I think um, a lot of work uh, went last uh, um, last year, and maybe Elena, you can speak about our work last year. We did a lot of work in establishing. Uh, we were an ad hoc committee. Uh, our work was um, being uh, looked at as in what ways we can add value. And after this determining that we actually have gained a um, status of standing committee, which is a huge milestone for this uh, committee and its work. Um, the second thing that we have already put in place is a liaison from this committee will be part of uh, and collaborating with different aspects of ANCDS. As Elena mentioned in the beginning, membership committee, uh, you know, whether it's research um, and some other things that uh, education. Um, and the third piece, what we have done so far already is uh, we uh, created a, uh, a survey uh, to help people uh, get a sense of people's readiness, uh, willingness, and their understanding of the matters of ready issues and it's it's a uh, uh, impact on our professional practice and we gathered data from that we also uh, used um, we were invited to present uh, our work during uh, the scientific meeting last year so those are some of the things we accomplished uh, last year uh, and now you will see a lot more systematic ways that uh, the cell study we are launching um, uh, this literally, I think next week, uh, will be directed towards the board, executive board first. And then we will be uh, also getting an opportunity to uh, be part of the scientific uh, uh, a scientific meeting uh, during ASHA. And um, the NCDS members who will be present will get an opportunity to see the results of that work. And then the committee has some ideas about uh, making such self-study process available for the members. So that's, uh, and and uh, um, Elena can speak about more issues as well, but Elena, maybe you can share a little bit at a granular level what we did last year. We did so much. <laughs> well, actually, I think you covered everything. <laughs> that was um, that was pretty much um, what we were able to do um, last year. And a lot of, a lot of, what we did last year served as a foundation for what we'll be able to do um, moving forward. Um, for example, in addition to the self-study program, which will actually, um, Sucheta is actually um, leading that along with our um, uh, student member. Um, so that should be very exciting. Um, we also will be contributing to the ANCDS um, calendar to ensure that there are um, events that are related to issues of race, equity, diversity, and inclusion um, that are shared with the community. Um, also a resource library um, that will be um, shared on the website um, that will have a number of different um, readings and activities and things like that, that the members can start to engage in that self-analysis process. That's wonderful. That's really exciting to hear about um, kind of coming down, coming down the road and, and soon to be available. Um, with that last statement there about engaging members, um, I think that those are some actionable things for members to be 
uh, looking for coming forward, um, how else are you planning on engaging members on topics of race and equity and diversity? Um, so definitely the self-study, um, and I'll, I'll let Shucheta talk more about that because she um, she's definitely um, the captain of that ship. Um, but I, I think that I'll say that quite a few of the things that we have put in place allows for those discussions that she has mentioned, um, having space to engage in discussions that we probably would avoid in other situations. Um, and I've had an opportunity to, um, to do that with Sucheta, the other members of the committee, along with the board, um, where um, we got to express <laughs> things that we had experienced or that we were feeling. And um, one thing that's really nice um, about the experience that Sucheta has had is that it does feel like a very safe space to express yourself. Uh, yeah, I think this has been very exciting to uh, even go in this direction. Um, primarily, uh, I will give an example. Uh, so uh, this, uh, this year during the scientific uh, meeting, we will be specifically talking, we'll be talking about uh, research, uh, um, uh, research participants and role of diversity. And when we talk about homogeneity versus heterogeneity of the population that we study, um, we are very um, um, interested in, or rather it appears more scientific if the, the, the population we study is a cohesive group so we can generalize the results. And almost diversity uh, of any kind of diversity kind of creates a little barrier in, in that, in, in reporting that. And so the question really is, what does a new way of studying uh, patients or researching uh, best practices or reporting data by normalizing diverse N? And I think that is a very interesting, um, um, we, we are very interested in posing that as a challenge for our NCDS community to solve. Uh, so uh, that will be one of the topics that we will be addressing during the scientific meeting. Great. Can we also just discuss the importance of um, actual at the member level and CDS members taking the initiative to make change? Yeah, so um, I think when I think about this, I think about the fact that um, we can lecture and talk to you all day, right? So even in the classroom, when I teach, I'm up there, I'm talking, but the students don't actually grasp the concepts and the ideas until they start to become hands-on. Um, so it doesn't really make a significant impact until they've had an opportunity to work through the problems themselves, to um, think about how they can do things differently the next time. And I think that the in the way that this committee has set up all of the programs where it does create space for the members to engage in that way where they can initiate the ideas and think about um, 
you know, what they've experienced and start to consider, you know, con- well, not start to consider, but consider, you know, what people around them have been experiencing. I think that it will lead to a place where in my um, overall hope is that we may not need the committee anymore. Uh, because if it's, if these ideas of race, equity, diversity, and inclusion are embedded in everything that we do, and everyone is taking that initiative to make change, then we've created a space where um, we're we're seeing changes happen, um, and we are able to um, see that in our research, our articles, our classrooms, our work environments. Um, and then we have people who feel like they belong, people who feel like they're receiving the same opportunities as everyone else. And I mean, at a global level, do you mind if I share a little bit about this idea of uh, um, these commonly used terms? You know, when we talk about uh, diversity, for example, it's um, versus inclusion, right? So let's begin there. So diversity is often defined as, you know, results, something, uh, a results in presence of differences within a given setting. So a presence of difference is considered diversity. Now, presence of differences is not empowered differences. Hmm. Yeah. So that's one beginning stage. So second stage, so you can be in a crowd and not at all be part of the crowd. Um, Either neither you feel, so you can feel imposter syndrome or you actually be neglected and and be not be honored or included. The inclusion on the other hand is results in welcoming, valuing, leveraging individuals with different identities within the given setting. Now, the the challenge, not challenge, but our field has been talking a lot about diversity and inclusion Primarily, look at our profession. We are so adept at understanding and serving the needs of neurodiversity. However, race is a completely different ballgame. And and I think one of my personal, and I've shared that very openly with Elena, is frustration with the field is cultural diversity. So if I am a speech and language pathologist, one of my expertise is pragmatics. So appropriate use of language in social context. I'm very proper. I'm very um, appropriate when I speak. I'm respectful. I can be all that and not at all be aware of impact of race. And so this is called acculturation of profession that is so uh, used to treating people uh, uh, in the good faith effort uh, of fairness, uh, which is nurturing ignorance. So it means I have to do no work on race and understanding of impact of race or structural or institutional or individual racism. And because I'm quite adept in my communication skills, I teach people how to be effective and I research it. So I feel there's a blind spot that may be tripping us a little bit. So uh, the piece that I want to bring into the equation is um, equity. So equity is often described, is it a outcome or a process. So I, w- I invite our listeners to really think about, uh, and so we are so focused on outcome and that's why we may find ourselves getting satisfied with diversity and inclusion and call it a day, check, we did it. But equity is a process, a process or an approach 
to ensure that everyone not just has an access to the same opportunity, but everybody actually um, is onboarded to remove the obstacles for others who may not have those opportunities. And I think that's a different uh, alignment. So, so I think that's something I'm very, very interested in seeing that NCDS prioritizes. And I'm so excited because they have simply by having this committee to be part of that process. Can I add something to that too? Um, when you think about the terms that you just talked about, um, also recognizing that it's not just one-sided. So it's not just that um, those of us from marginalized or vulnerable uh, populations that we want to be included, but that inclusion should be reciprocal. Um, the equity should be reciprocal. Um, so for example, our own committee, right? Right now, it is a very diverse committee, but we don't have we don't have anyone who is not um, we don't have we we don't have anyone that is white in our committee at this moment. Um, although we have expressed some, we have some people that have expressed some interest that should be joining in, but we also want anyone to feel like they could be a part of this and making change. Um, a diversity, equity, race committee doesn't only have to be persons who look different. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Go ahead, um, Sucheta. And I think in order to be effective member of that committee, uh, the self-work is in place. Mm -hmm. So there's some personal responsibility involved where you have taken the time to say, what is my understanding and contribution to keeping the structures the way they are? Mm -hmm. And I think that is a, a critical inclusion criteria, if you ask me. So it's not about the race, uh, because if we can even, you know, rein in back a little bit, race is a social construct, right? So racial categories are, racial categories are made up, racism, uh, the acknowledged superiority of white race, for example, is inherited in America. It is an inherited belief system. And it's it's invisible, but it has a very strong hold. So those who question may get a pushback, uh, but those who don't question may not think twice about them having not questioned it. And that's the condition in which we are operating and addressing this issue of race, equity, diversity, and inclusion. So I think it's really important. The onus is not on the minority people to educate uh, a dominant culture about their benefits and, and their, uh, uh, because this is a, another very important thing that has to come up for us, having done this work for last one year, that people um, are, uh, our white counterparts are afraid to, go near the topic of race because they are afraid. I don't know how to talk is a common feeling. And I would love to hear what your perspective is on this. But so I think the question really is that why is this feeling uh, that this is a hot topic and I'm not comfortable? And then uh, the, the flip side of our immediate next part is, please tell me, Elena, how do I talk to you? Do I call you black? You know? Do I compliment you about your skin, Sucheta? <laughs> you know, now there is like a whole tension about things, about differences, but we are really not talking about uh, uh, the, the bigger impactful problems. And we may be, um, and that's where I feel like it is, I, I call this racial healing work. It's how do I heal about having to talk about difficult things 
with people who may be different than I am without, without feeling I'm compromised or I'm compromising other people in any which way. <laughs> you know, how easily I just told you that I was told that too many Asians, too many Indians on the campus <laughs> when there are eight people in the program. So that is the level of comfort I want to have with you which I'm meeting you for the first time because I trust you and I, I feel your ability to understand me is expressed in so many ways already that and you your um, acceptance of that information without it becoming a barrier for you to continue the conversation is the self-work that I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think for me <clears throat> that the self-work... Um, needs more, needs more time investment, probably with a lot of people, but definitely with me, um, just speaking on a personal basis. And I hear, I think first off, what came for me was learning of the committee, learning of the the research that um, Elena referred me to, which I think was Charles Ellis. Does that sound familiar? Mm-hmm. Um, and opening my eyes to, oh, this is part of this topic. This is part of diversity, equity, and inclusion, and you know that conversation. This is not just an issue that's on kind of a, a personal or clinical or um, campus-wide level. That when I'm having patients that uh, live rurally and are unable to access, you know, skilled care with AAC, like oh, that's part of this conversation, and that's part of what this research is. That was that was an eye opener for me. You know, just reading even just one paper and like oh shoot, okay. Um, that's part of this conversation. Um, the the lower socioeconomic status patients who can't get here because they don't have transportation and they don't have family support. Oh, that's part of this conversation too. And so starting to open my eyes to, oh, this is this is relevant to this conversation as well, right? Race, equity, diversity, and inclusion. And that's a that's a big broad scope to be thinking about and to be discussing. Um, you, I think both of you mentioned some some important questions in regards to that self-work. Um, I believe it was Sucheta at the beginning mentioning the person with the private practice who has, um, you know, it's an all white population, patient population. The question should not, should be, uh, why? Why is that? Why is that I'm only serving white people? Um, what can I change to, to serve a broader population, to serve more diverse population. Um, And then I think the second question was, what is my understanding and contribution that keeps the the structures, the structural uh, barriers in place for greater diversity, equity, inclusion? Um, Are are there other questions that I should be, or that the listener should be starting to ask themselves as they walk into work tomorrow, as they think about their patient population and their student population. What are these, are there any questions that you could think of top of the head? I know this wasn't prepared, but curious. Um, So I'll jump in. One of the topics that's really important to me um, and which we'll be talking about in the scientific meeting is our research and the things that we research. Um, So even in thinking about if you're going to aim to focus on um, on uh, ready topics or on, on other populations, you know, thinking about, are you only looking at them in comparison to the white population? Um, are we looking at 
the actual materials that we're using um, to see why um, you might see a different type of or lower performance from African-Americans versus um, white uh, Americans, right? Um, so we have a lot of research that does that. And it says, oh, on these cognitive tests, you get lower performance hmm. from other groups. But we never see anything that looks at the actual um, medium or material that's used to say, what is it about this material that is leading to these differences? Uh, because we have people from all races that have PhDs and that are doctors and, you know, in all types of professions. So that can't be the truth. Right. Um, so that would be um, something that I would uh, pose to a lot of the researchers. Um, and oh, oh, one more thing. <laughs> um, as a professor, the same thing with students. Um, one of my favorite um, areas to talk about is cognitive learning styles. Um, and I actually I have an article with a colleague about it that's in the journal, uh, the journal of the National Association for Black Speech Language Hearing. Um, and looking at it's it's looking at differences in how we process information without one being better or worse than the other. Um, but getting to the same end or outcome with your students, but really focusing on how they um how they um, receive information and how they process information that may be differently, different from how like the mainstream may process information. Um, and so that's also something to consider um, if you are in the teaching position, you know, am I only teaching in a way that, in a style that is my preferred style and that I think students should um, receive this? Or am I really looking at my students and who they are and determining if there's any communication breakdowns happening between us. That's amazing, Elena. I really love that, um, your personal view. And if I can share mine, I think um, one of the things that I'm deeply interested in, and a lot of my experiences has been shaped by coming from a dominant culture, being a dominant representative, a representative of the dominant population and becoming a minority, that has, has a huge psychological, social, cognitive toll. And it's taken a lot to adjust and, and um, present myself and um, um, what achievement in that context means uh, when you're working three times more uh, has shaped a lot of my interest in this topic. So one, one of the things that I really want to work with my colleagues about is racially restricted lives of white contemporaries in America. I think there's a 2019 poll that showed that 21% of Americans uh, marked that seldom or never having interacted with people of color. And, and there's an omniscience of dominant culture. That means if you think about media, internet, television, radio, newspaper, magazine, we know a lot about white people and uh, their li lived lives, their homes, their ways of life. But, uh, and we don't know anything about minority experiences. And so um, I remember personally coming to America and watching Dick Van Dyke's show. And I literally thought every American household had two beds for wife and husband. Um, and I just thought that was a very odd way of Americans are living, but didn't know because that's the representation, right? I mean, yeah. it's funny and haha, but when you have the opportunity to walk into lives of the dominant culture, 
if you just look at the word cloud, you know, uh, of white experience or a minorities uh, um, or what does a minority get bombarded with is strong, deserving, normal, dominant, exceptional, desirable, and powerful. This is the word cloud when we talk to, talk about the dominant culture. And I'm not calling about white or black, but America just happens to be white as a race. But if we, anything that is not that becomes what's opposite of strong, weak, opposite of deserving, undeserving, opposite of normal, abnormal, opposite of dominant, subservient, opposite of exceptional, mediocre. So if this is a, an experience of a minority, that minority is working already double or triple times. And it is literally an acceptance, which is then made to be believed to be an exceptional inclusivity. So if you're nice to minorities, suddenly the person's pride and, and sense of self is elevated of that white person. So I think we have this lopsided view of how, what the experiences are. So just lastly, I think you know, uh, Peggy McIntosh's work is amazing in this area, which is she talks about uh, white privilege, but it is unspoken advantage that the dominant culture has over people of color. It protects white people against any form of discrimination related to their ethnic ethnicity and race. And I think this is something to be thinking about. So I, I, my interest is a little bit global as, as we think about a profession, uh, we already have worked very hard and we already are in a profession where we take a vow to protect our patients. And so what does it mean to be contributing to a society and culture that is inherently leaning towards uh, our favoring dominant culture, whether we call it racism or not? And I think that's where the self-work is so critical. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, thank you both. Um, more questions, more things to read. Um, I'm keeping note <laughs> for myself. And I'll also be um, speaking with uh, Elena too about linking to, if that's okay, that paper, the cognitive learning styles paper that you mentioned. That sounds fascinating. Yeah, I think that'd be really helpful for members. Um, well, those are the questions I had for you. Uh, there's there's obviously a lot to, to discuss, uh, but I, I'm grateful for the time that you've given me so far and um, don't wanna, overstep that. So thank you both very much. Um, Dr. Elena Davis and Sucheta Kamath. Thank you both. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. Thank you for listening to this episode of the ANCDS podcast. To learn more about the Academy of Neurologic Communication Disorders and Sciences, please visit our website at ANCDS.com dot o r g